0: That's the list of fundamentals that has been dealt with for decades, but none of those are mental processes. Those are what I call the fund physicals of shooting. But there are a set of fundamentals that people have skipped since the dawn of man.
1: Guys, welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is episode number two hundred and forty-two, and I'm excited to get this one out there, especially right now, here in August, as we get ready to start hunting seasons. You know, it's one of those deals with hunting that shot opportunities can be tough to come by. We train for it, we work for it, we scout, we spend money and time and energy and effort. And when things come together, and you have that shot opportunity, and the animal steps out and you're at full draw with a bow or you're getting into shooting position with the rifle. Many of us have blown it in those instances, myself included. And I wanted to speak with Joel Turner about essentially how to hold it together, how to make a good shot when the opportunity happens, how to deal with pressure and buck fever and all of those things and to be able to shoot effectively in the heat of the moment. And that's what we're talking about today. So no matter if you have a bow or a rifle in your hands, or something else for hunts this fall, I want this podcast to help you fill a tag when that shot opportunity arises. That's the single goal for this episode, and I'm so excited with the knowledge, the information that Joel shared with us today in this episode. So you guys, check out uh, more of what Joel has to offer. There's links in the show description to Shot IQ and more of what he's up to, but there's so much that you're going to take from this episode today. Before we dive into that, just want to thank you guys as always for tuning in. You know, this time of year, everybody's excited, getting ready, preparing for hunts. If you're still putting things together, if you're in the market for a pack at Exo Mountain Gear, we do currently have short lead times, can still get you set up if you're interested. And you can check out those pack systems at exomountaingear.com. But otherwise, let's dive into this. I'm so excited to put this out there for you. Here's Joel Turner. We're talking about making the most of shot opportunities. Joel, welcome to the Hunted Back Country podcast, man. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me again, bud.
1: Yeah, it was... uh... A heck of a long time ago we had you, I think a few years ago. I had to look it up. It was episode 87, uh, and we spoke with you. The title of that episode is The Cure for Target Panic. Nice. Um, Dude, that was a helpful episode for me personally. Uh Something that I've I've just, you know, it never ceases to amaze me, guys, even to this day, going back to episodes that are a few years old, and we constantly hear feedback from guys. So excited Mm -hmm. to chat with you again.
2: I constantly remember the... um joel you when you were talking about like you if you're aiming at a point you naturally will like come back to that point and I, I reference that all the time when i'm struggling to aim at something where you if you just kind of stop trying so hard you're just gonna do circles left and right up and down or around that point that you're aiming at and i i apply that one all the time
0: yeah and that's it's one of the biggest things for shooters with both rifles and bows to deal with i mean i've been talking with a lot of pros this past year and it's something that even the pros struggle with and you know it it depends on their ability to detach from the aim that's what really gives them their ability as an archer I mean can you actually detach from the aim and just let it do its thing the visual proprioception is gonna take over and you just have to let it do it but people have a real hard time trusting that
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: That's definitely true in the in the rifle world or in the firearms world as well, because it's been taught, especially in the military, to try to control that, right, to try to control the aim and time the trigger on that aim. And it just has been a real detriment to marksmanship. And only now or or really the, you know, special forces units are the only ones that get any other marksmanship training other than that. really see it in the firearms world and it people just (laughs) they believe it and it's just not true so you just can't control the aim it's not it's not even possible so it it leads to all kinds of problems with all weapon systems for sure
1: yeah yeah today we are going to talk about kind of both weapon systems i was telling you before the show i want I want to speak to the archer guy. I want to speak to the guy who's hunting with a rifle as well. And, you know, there's guys that do either. There's a lot of guys like myself who are going to do both. And I want a a good portion of this conversation just apply to shooting, right? Just no matter what's in your hands, what that weapon platform is. I want to speak to shooting and making the most of those opportunities. Um, Before we get 2D, Joel, if guys haven't caught that previous episode or haven't seen you in a bunch of other places that you've been and other podcasts and online and all that, just give us that quick intro uh, background of who you are, because I th- always think it's helpful to have context for uh, who's this Joel guy and why is he talking on these topics, right? So fill us in.
0: Yeah, sure. So I've I i just I've been shooting since a very young age. I shot my first centerfire rifle at five years old, started shooting a bow at seven, and just followed the natural path of of self education, which unfortunately led me to all of the problems right like i mean at five years old i've my dad handed me a thirty thirty and i I pressed the trigger perfectly one time the first time, and then once that thing kicked me, it was downhill from there right my <laughs> instantly formulated motor programs against it. It knew that the explosion was coming and it just it didn't want me to do that. And that's you know that led through my teenage years horrible horrible shooting. I mean, you know, grew up hunting with my dad and everything and just not very successful in the whole shooting world. I could shoot 22 rifles and air rifles like a champ and I wore them out, but you you put any type of centerfire rifle in my hand with recoil or a pistol and it was horrendous. And the same thing in archery. I mean, I had full blown target panic by the age of eight. You know, locked off target, jumping to target, all kinds of craziness, and not knowing what it was. So that you know, life progressed, and and I had a very few successes in shooting. But I did have a couple, and it it really got me to thinking about how I actually did that and then I became a law enforcement officer and the option of missing ended. I had to figure it out and that 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 need that want to to be better uh, that led me to the path of research that i that I went down and and figured out the true science of the mind and how it really works in shooting, no matter the weapon system, and and how it works against you, and how you can actually use your mind. But, boy, there are systems in place that are that are perfect that you're born with that you have to learn how to consciously override. And so that's what I teach now in Shot IQ, basically, is the conscious defiance of human nature, and it's really led to a lot of shooting successes, uh, and it's. It's very powerful information. I always tell people the minefield has been navigated. Just step where I step. <laughs> <You won't... laughs>
1: I like it. You mentioning that background just made me really curious. This is uh and a I wasn't planning on speaking to, but would love to hit it quickly. You know, you talked about you shooting at a young age. I was the same way. I like could think of, you know, shooting like you said, twenty twos and we used to shoot soda cans off a of fence post, and that's just how I grew up a bit. I'm at that stage essentially with my son. Uh, He's eight. We're, in fact, going to the range this weekend. You know, and when you're teaching a kid to shoot, you're obviously primarily focused on safety, right? But from your perspective, like, is there anything from your, call it, your program, or even the things we'll talk about today that I should be doing or that listeners should be doing as they teach their kids to shoot? Again, obviously safety is paramount. But that whole mental piece or anything we can do um, to kind of help instill good habits beyond just safety.
0: Yeah, you have to be super careful when you're teaching kids to shoot. Of course the safety factor, but they're gonna follow the, the natural path because they don't they're not mature enough to actually understand the science. So you have to manipulate the science as as dad or mom or whatever when you're teaching your kids to shoot. When, you know, you have to be super careful with recoil. So, you know, you get them shooting a BB gun. It's got a little bit of recoil, like maybe you're shooting a spring piston air rifle or something. A little bit of recoil there. You move them into a twenty-two and the recoil goes away and it's super fun. And, and that's where you can really deal with, make sure you're shooting reactive targets, like shooting steel shooting balloons, shooting clay pigeons, whatever it is, that will that will hook them into shooting and it will be much more fun than just punching paper. And then you have to make sure that they are actually concentrating on the trigger. They're not going to know how to do that. You are going to know how to do that after this podcast, of course, but you know you have to make sure that they they just watch the aim. If you have them with a with a magnified optic just have them put the crosshairs on there and just let them dance right let them do their thing because they're going to be infatuated with aiming just like we all are and so just to get them to let go of that and then you really have to make sure that they're concentrating on the trigger press and you know, by watching it, by actually touching the tip of their finger with your finger and making sure that they're going slow enough that they can stop it. And understand you can manipulate the target system so that if they go open loop, if you will, if they press a trigger too fast, they're going to miss. Make it so that the only way they're going to hit that that target, you know, be it a clay pigeon or a balloon or whatever, Make it small enough to where if they don't press the trigger perfectly, they will miss. And there'll be a point where they'll they'll start to understand, if I don't do it this way, I'm going to miss. If I do it this way properly, I'm going to hit the target every single time. So it's a very crucial point. If you just let them go out there and sling sling rounds around, they're they're not going to get that education because they got to start to use these shots and they got to make it so that success only comes with proper trigger pressing. And then when you move them into a center fire, make sure that they're, they're good to go on their ear protection, right? Make sure they got plugs and muffs, or if you can, if you have the ability to do it, move into suppressed, suppressed rifles instantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go to a suppressor, right? And as far as if you can't do a suppressor, make sure the rifle's got a muzzle brake. Like if you move them into a two hundred forty three or a .65 Creedmoor or something like that, that's light recoil, yet still very, very effective caliber. Just don't go, you know, like I did at five years old, my dad handed me a thirty thirty. 30 which kicked the crap out of me as a five-year-old. So. And then by 12, I'm trying to shoot a 270 and a 30-06 and just yanking the trigger like a machine. So <laughs> just don't go down that path, right? Yeah. Give, give them success, but they're only allowed success if they press the trigger perfectly.
1: Cool. No, I appreciate that. We actually uh, we had talked about suppressors on the podcast late last year and had been waiting on the ATF to let us have one, and I just got mine... Uh, in the last month or so. And honestly, that was one of the reasons I wanted to get it is I wanted, uh, to have that for my kids. And as they jump into center fire rifle, I, I just figured that that would be so helpful for them. Uh, so that's cool to hear as well.
0: Extremely helpful. Wish I had one a long time ago.
1: Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, again, that previous episode, we strictly talked about target panic in the title, and it was from that archery perspective. I don't typically hear that term in reference to firearms, target panic. But you obviously hear of guys flinching, you know, they're they're going to anticipate recoil and all that. Is quote-unquote target panic on the archery side the same thing as flinching, recoil anticipation, etc. on the firearm side? Or is there something else going on there?
0: No, it's it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same science. You are... Creating an explosion with a movement. In firearms, it's the movement of your finger. So that movement creates an explosion. Smoke, fire, noise, recoil, all very negative things to your mind. Same thing in archery, but in archery, target panic or shot anticipation or flinching or whatever you want to call it is a hundredfold what it is with a firearm because your body is in tension. Right? So it wants to release that tension, but it wants to know exactly when that's going to happen. In firearms, there are, there are techniques and just the simple fact that you can press a trigger on a firearm and it not go off right? because a firearm's got a safety. You get to see the flinching much more readily in a firearm, like if you handed your, your rifle to your son or daughter and, and didn't load it, but they believe that it's loaded. Then and only then are you going to see that flinch and they're going to experience that flinch. And it's if they can experience it, it's going to be a lot easier to fix because you can really identify the problem. In archery, people don't feel the flinch because all of your pre-ignition movements that are linked to your trigger motor program, they're all hidden by the bow going off. I mean, when I watch somebody shoot a bow, like they're shooting a compound with an index finger trigger, and they press the trigger on that and nothing moves, their bow hand doesn't move and their release hand doesn't move, and you're thinking, oh man, that person's just solid as a rock. But for a, somebody to stay in, stay static in that after that that sudden release of energy, that means that there was pre-ignition movements, there was pre-ignition contractions that were linked to their release motor program. That's the only way they were able to stay steady with that. With a firearm, your body's not necessarily in tension. And you can do things like skip loading a revolver or, you know, blind loading your rifle or whatever if you don't know if it's loaded, if you're using dummy rounds or whatever, so that you can really check yourself constantly on firearms. So it's the same science. It is the fact that your mind will link pre-ignition bracing movements to your trigger motor program. It's just the different weapon systems with the archery. You don't get to see it as much unless you really know what to look for. In firearms, it's very readily seen with the flinch, right?
2: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it makes a lot of sense as you explain that.
0: Yeah. yeah exactly the same thing your mind does not want you to shoot a bow it certainly does not want you to shoot a firearm So that's where this conscious override comes in
1: Huh? is it uh so i was a couple this is a couple months ago i was up i was shooting my bow uh my son was riding his bike we were up at like a schoolyard basically because i can shoot super long distance there and he got done riding his bike and was playing around and he asked for my phone and then i was like hey uh Take a video of me shooting my bow, and I I put it in the slow-mo mode, you know, on an iPhone, and the main reason I did that was because I wanted to try and show him, like, the arrow moving, right? I just wanted to see, like, hey, bud, look, like, let's record this video, and I wanted to show him how the arrow leaves the bow. But then I realized, like, oh, that was actually kind of a good check for me, and this isn't the reason I did it, but in slow motion, I could somewhat analyze my form and the shot release and all that. Is that something helpful that you could encourage guys to do is just have them, you know, if they have an iPhone or I'm sure the other phones do it as well. But is that type of slow-mo video good enough to help them maybe see some of that anticipation or movement?
0: Yeah. Especially in the archery world, if you video a close up so you can see your head, the release hand and about, I don't know, six or seven inches of arrow in front of your face. If you video that, and also video your bow hand. So in the release world, on the release end of things, if you see your basically your wrist drop down, that's gonna tell you that you actually shot a surprise break. Like I've been putting quite a few videos of Bodie my son out on Instagram and just showing the release angles and how when the when the release is actually, fires his wrist goes down and you'll see that the the release is actually loose in his hand when it goes off if you see like the wrist stay stiff or the release stays in the hand like if you're shooting an index finger trigger the release should fall out of your hand upon release it should Mm. literally drop out of your hand and your wrist will drop slightly So if folks are following me on Instagram, you'll see a lot of these videos that I put out about Bodhi. And what you're looking for on the bow hand is you're looking for the arrow to – if the arrow moves, if you start closing your hand before the arrow moves, that's obviously a pre-ignition movement. And you'll see that in the people that are trying to shoot with an open hand without a wrist sling. If there was no pre-ignition movement to catch the bow, their bow would fall on the ground every time, right? So Mm -hmm. you're looking for that hand to start closing before the arrow starts moving. And it's, I mean, like 95% of archers are in that realm right now as a pre-ignition movement. So those are two video video views that, that you really should be looking at and definitely in slow motion. I might have to send
1: you that video afterwards and have you critique me then.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All all the time, every day.
1: Yeah, I bet. Um, So let's talk a little bit about understanding what you were talking about, a lot of what um, helps guys with shooting, what's helped you in your own shooting, what you focus on is that mental process in terms of shot execution. So talk, maybe I just want to hit from like a high level, whether it's bow or rifle, how much of call it quote unquote, good shooting is mental versus physical, physical meaning technique, form, etc. And obviously the mental piece is uh, the shot execution stuff. Can you even separate those or are they
0: just, you know, you gotta have all of both. No, you have to separate both in, in archery form is a big deal, right? Because you're holding this bow apart. So there are certain positions that allow you know, bone structure and muscle structure and all these things to help you. You know, there's a there's a holding position where your elbow is in line with your string, your rear elbow is in line with your string, which really aids in holding that bow back, which takes tension, muscle tension out of the system, which makes it easier for you to concentrate. You know, all these things and, and a certain way that you hold the bow because it's the only place you touch your bow. So, The physicality of shooting archery is important, much more important than it is with firearms. Just because you're holding that bow apart and your body is in tension. As far as physicality of shooting a firearm goes, there's so many ways to do it. But if you actually press the trigger slow enough, you can stop it. Form means almost zero in firearms. I mean, you could be, If you can press the trigger perfectly on your rifle, I mean, like in, in bench rest shooting, you don't even literally, you literally don't even touch your rifle except for the trigger and you allow the rifle to slide back and forth and they have special tape on the bottom of the stock and all the rest and all these things. So if you're shooting a pistol, right? If you're actually pressing the trigger on a pistol properly, slow enough, you could stop it anywhere within it, closed loop, right? If you're doing that, you don't even really need to hold on to the pistol. You can simply wrap your trigger finger and your thumb around it and, and press that. The, the pistol going to recoil more violently, but there's no input into the shot because you're just pressing the trigger. As long as you are able to eliminate all pre-ignition movements. Now, if you're shooting like CQB close quarter battle stuff with firearms, then form becomes everything because if I'm five feet from somebody, I don't need a perfect trigger press, right? I don't need that perfection. I just need to get rounds in the bad thing, the thing that's trying to hurt me, right? I was fishing in Montana. It's loaded with grizzly bears where I'm at, so I've got my 44 on my chest, but you know, it doesn't matter if I'm if that bear is charging me, I'm not going to be worried about a perfect trigger press. But I have to brace my body so that my pre-ignition movements that are going to be there because I'm going to open loop the trigger. I'm going to make I mean, my trigger work's going to be too fast for me to stop. Therefore, I have to brace my body enough that the pre-ignition movements are limited in range of motion. Like if I'm, if I'm going to yank the trigger on my pistol or on my rifle and I'm just standing up, straight up, with no weight into the firearm, then I have invited, or let, let's say I'm leaning back on my heels, I've invited massive range of motion for my pre-ignition, my flinching movements essentially, right? The movements that brace my body for recoil. If I give them range of motion, then it's going to be horrible and I'm going to miss. I'm going to be outside the acceptable range. We know now that in firearms, if you go open loop, meaning if you press the trigger so fast that you can't stop it, that release mo- or that trigger motor program is so fast that you can't stop it. We know now that you can't actually fix that. In firearms instruction, that's been the the crux of the matter oh you're yanking the trigger that's why you're shooting low and left with your pistol well that's true because you've you're squeezing the pistol and your body's trying to brace and for right-handed shooters that will usually push it low and left but you can't fix it. your trigger yank mark and yours steve is the same speed as mine we, we all have pre-ignition movements certain people are you know, we're born with different levels of pre-ignition movement. And that has to do with anxiety and and personality and all that stuff. So some people, when they yank the trigger, it moves a lot. Some people, when they yank the trigger, if they're a very calm person, it doesn't move that much. But it will still probably be outside of the acceptable range. So the whole thing in firearms, if you're going to open loop the trigger, you have to pre-brace your body enough, like put massive weight forward into it, You'd be like, if you're dealing with a pistol, you're squeezing the pistol like you're trying to get blood out of a turnip, right? <laughs> There's been stuff in gunfighting Well, you're supposed to have 70% in your right hand, 30%, you know, 50-50, whatever. You know, when you're in a gunfight, I guarantee you, you are 100%, 100% in your, in your grip strength, right? So, and that is to limit range of motion of pre-ignition movements. So, you know, take that over to hunting. If you're gonna shoot your rifle and you're just gonna stand up straight or back on your heels and you're gonna open loop the trigger, your pre-ignition movement's gonna be massive, and that's where people miss at very close ranges with their rifles. So you know, but you would only be wanting to open loop a trigger if you're dealing with moving targets, right? Otherwise, if it's a stationary target, you should be closed looping the trigger, meaning moving the trigger slow enough you can stop it anywhere within it. Slow enough you can gain feedback in it. Even if you're standing unsupported and your crosshair is moving all over the place, it's still time for a closed loop trigger press. Hmm. (laughs) So there's massive science behind this stuff. We know that we can't fix if if you are in an environment where open loop is the option, then you need to pre-brace your body. You need to really, you know, put structure behind the weapon system. If you're going to go closed loop in a, in firearms, structure really doesn't mean very much. Hmm. So that's... that's that's where we're coming from with all that stuff it's and again this stuff is not my opinion i have went down the rabbit hole of science on all this stuff and it really comes out when you're teaching people how to properly work a trigger in both close quarter cqb type environments um you know charging bear environments all these things like i wouldn't say that a ph in africa when dealing with a charging lion is pressing the trigger perfectly if they, if they took the time to press the trigger perfectly, they would be eaten, right? Mm-hmm. If you watch these guys shoot, they when they actually stand their ground, and they have to, right? And you'll, you'll watch certain people. The, the pH will stand, stand his or her ground, and they'll get way into the rifle, and they'll shoot that rifle. And they're much more accurate with that big double rifle. It's got massive recoil than somebody that's, in scared mode and trying to shoot off their heels they're not hitting anything and they're getting eaten so
2: you got a uh, quick and dirty like how to shoot a pistol in that scenario like s- steps to take a lot, last year i picked up a little nine for you know just going up to alaska for grizzly bear okay. i tried to quickly shoot even at seven yards and i couldn't I couldn't hit the freaking broadside of a barn. My strategy was literally wait till the bear was on me and then start yeah. popping rounds into it. I was gonna uh, say when we were headed
1: up to Alaska, Steve literally told me, just so you know, if like a bear charges, I'm not shooting until it's on me. And he was like dead serious.
2: <laughs> I knew that would be my only chance. Like if it right. was ten yards away charging, there, I wasn't gonna hit it. Like well, trying to quickly get the gun out of the holster and make yep. a shot. I mean, I, I literally I had this piece of paper that was 18 inches by 24 inches and i couldn't hit that at at seven yards like in a a fast environment you probably did you shoot low into the left with it i I shot all over the place i don't remember yeah yeah (laughs) so there's some
0: very specific skills that that most hunters unfortunately don't practice i mean if you get in a charging bear or whatever scenario it's very dynamic right and if you have the, the main skill is not in the shot in that particular situation, the main skill is the presentation of the pistol to the target. And by that, I mean, you have to practice getting the gun out of the holster <clears throat> and getting it leveled onto the target. Instantly. So, like, did you carry a pistol on your hip or on your chest? Hip. Okay. So if you're coming from the hip, the pistol gets <clears throat> gets grabbed, right? That's your first chance at getting your firing grip. So you have to practice just simply that movement of reaching down and getting that pistol and getting through all the retention devices that are on the holster. Or maybe there's none, right? Maybe you just have to yank that thing out of there. The pistol comes up out of the holster and then your elbow goes into your side because when you bring the elbow into your side that levels the pistol and gets you set up for success okay Mm. so the elbow comes into your side and then the pistol moves to the center of your chest okay so now it's leveled on the target and it's in the center of your chest and then you bring the pistol up to your chin right up to chin level Because our eyes find sights on a horizontal plane, not on vertical planes. So if you were to push the pistol out low and then try to bring it up like in a bowling motion, Uh you will find your sights until you're at full extension. And in dynamic situations, that particular thing of you finding your sight never happens. And therefore, you're just shooting rounds trying to point shoot all over the place. If you were to take the pistol, drop your elbow into your side, and then come from the center, bring the gun to your chin level, and then halfway out on this straight push to target, you put your front sight on the target. Not you're not looking through the rear sight, you're looking over the gun and you put the front sight on the target. And then you simply push the front sight into the target you keep it on the, on the middle and you keep pushing it in, by the time you get the full extension, j- just based on the biomechanics of your wrist, the rear sight will fold up around the front sight. And by the time you get the full extension, you have sight alignment, you have sight picture, because whatever you put your front sight on, that's your sight picture, right? So you have sight alignment, sight picture, and you should have slack out of the trigger because… You've already made the decision to shoot. If you're going to full extension on something, you should only do that because you've made the decision to shoot. And I'll explain the science of that in just a second. But that that presentation, it sounds like there's lots of steps to it. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is come from the middle of your chest. Bring the pistol up to your chin and then simply straight push out to the target. And you will see that your rear sight will fold up around your front sight so that when you get to full extension, you have everything you need, right? You've got sight alignment, sight picture, and slack out of the trigger, and that's what nobody trains on, Hmm. right? So that no matter how you are, maybe you're running, maybe you fell down, it doesn't matter, wherever you're at, if you get to full extension, you have to practice that movement, that presentation of target, So much that it doesn't matter what position you are in. If you get to full extension, you've got those three things. You've got sight alignment, sight picture, and slack out of the trigger. So when you're first starting to practice this, it's got to be very slow, right? Very slow and methodical because you're building this motor program. You should be able to break a sighted round by the time you get to full extension. You shouldn't have to point shoot any of these environments right because if Mm. you're if the critter is so close that you can't get the full extension we'll stick it against them and press the trigger right Right. (laughs) yeah right but even in that you have to be careful you know and that's one of the reasons why i i urge people to carry revolvers in the you know in the woods because if that bear is on you and you take your Glock and you shove it into the bear and press the trigger. It only takes two or three pounds of pressure to actually bring the slide out of battery. So if you've got the, the pistol shoved up into the bear, it's probably not going to fire. Hmm. Okay. The slide's so pushed back a bit. Yeah, because the slide gets pushed back just slightly enough. I mean, it only got, has to come back a couple of millimeters. And it's not going to fire the pistol. So you have to learn, if you're going to carry an auto, you have to learn about braced contact shooting, where you actually stick your thumb on the back of the slide, right, and press the trigger. It doesn't rip your thumb off, but you also only created a single shot. So you have to rack the pistol, because it's not going to rack the round out. That's another thing that hunters never practice, is braced contact shooting. So there's lots of skills that need to be involved with this stuff that people don't ever practice and that's why they continually get mauled and they're ineffective with their handguns. Same thing with a rifle, you know, when you if you're packing a rifle or a shotgun, you have to practice the gun mount from multiple different positions so that when it comes to your shoulder, you should be able to break a sighted round. So there's differences in in rifle mounts as well. Huh you know, because you're going to open loop the trigger in a, in a charging situation, you are going to be yanking the crap out of that trigger. So your body has to be able to, you have to be braced up enough to limit the range of motion of the pre-ignition movements. So, um, you know, there's two different environments. I, I explain all this stuff in, in my shot IQ control process shooting or my precision pistol course Mm that's online as well. So it's, you know, I urge people that, check that course out because it's a bunch of skills that are never practiced by hunters. And, you know, I mean, just, I was just in Montana. I just got home a couple of days ago and a guy got mauled while I was there. I mean, we watched the life flight helicopter come in because he evidently has a, a pig farm and he's got an old barn out on his pig farm. That's full of, I don't know if he's got stores, his pig feed in there or what, but when he opened the door, <laughs> there was a grizzly inside the barn. So, and you know, I don't know if the guy probably doesn't pack a pistol around. A bunch of people don't. But I mow my lawn with my forty four on my side if I'm outside the wire in Montana.
2: So mm-hmm. <laughs> huh, wow. So, what about the – I see that for the first shot. And then what, what about second, third, fourth, fifth shots?
0: So um, when you have – when you are in that, you only need one sight picture. That's mm-hmm. the only one you need to get is one because if you brace your body up enough, your front sight returns to the exact spot that it left from. So if you are – if you're standing all willy-nilly on your heels, then the the gun bounces all over the place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So – but if you brace up into it and you press the trigger, yep, you're going to open-loop the trigger, but the front sight comes right back. And you don't even need to see it do that. So when you're, when you have that first sight picture, that first trigger press, you have to stay in trigger rhythm because if you don't stay in trigger rhythm, meaning like if I press my pistol out, press, 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 if I stay in that rhythm, then my front sight comes right back to the same spot and I can shoot very small groups very quickly. If you get out of rhythm, press, 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Then the pistol falls to a different spot. So you're pressing you're pressing the trigger so fast that you're not really comprehending the sight. You're not seeing it, but it's coming right back to the same spot if you stay in rhythm. So a couple things to practice when you're out there is number one, most important, is the presentation of the pistol. Do it one-handed. Do it two-handed. Do it you know support side. And be able to get your pistol with both hands, for God's sakes. That's why I carry my pistol on my chest. I don't carry it on my hip. Even in, even at work, I don't carry it on my hip. I carry my pistol on my chest, so that I can get it with both hands. Because when you're fighting for your life, be it a bad guy or a grizzly bear, you might not have use of that main arm, right? So that's why you know, like gunfighter ink holsters and stuff like that. Alien Gears got really good ones. Chest rigs are essential for hunters even though it might be a pain in the ass to put it underneath your bino harness or whatever if you can't get it with both hands you're you're really playing the odds on that so
1: yeah hopefully uh Hopefully we don't have to worry about it, but as you said Joel, like those encounters are they're coming up, man. Like there's it feels like there's more and more every year and even, you know, it's affected guys in our our bit of the community and even listener stories in the past. So it's definitely something we should pay attention to.
0: I now know lots of people that have been mauled by grizzly bears. I mean, friends of mine have been mauled. I'm like, "Man, what happened?" They're like, "Oh, man, we, you know, this and that, and they usually get hit twice by the same bear and you know, they get their pistols out and they've never presented it to a target effectively. And, and they're, they just keep getting eaten on, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, hey.
1: so. Well, let's talk about, um, shot opportunities in a hunting scenario. Uh, and again, I would roughly keep this weapon agnostic, if you will, and just talk about the, the mental process and the closed loop and all that, but. Let's start here. Well, a lot of guys, obviously, you're going to use the term buck fever. um, And just as a high level, call that what it is. To me, it seems like there's both a mental and a physical component to that, right? Like you got high heart rate, you may have the shakes. um, And then at the same time, you have these mental processes and things are moving fast and yada, yada, yada. So let's start with just that from a super high level and help us think through... "Quote unquote," holding it together during those moments.
0: Okay, so let's take let's take a rifle shot first. And so you're you've stalked in on this buck, and you're actually fairly close to it. Let's say you're a hundred yards, and you've got no no rest, right? You're going to have to shoot this thing because it's in the sagebrush. You're in the sagebrush. You're going to have to shoot this thing standing, unsupported. There is a moment in time when, you know, the adrenaline is going – when when you understand the shot is imminent, like, oh, man, this is it. That is the moment when most people hand the shot to autopilot. They try to fall back on their training. Maybe they've shot their rifle a whole bunch. They know it's zeroed perfectly, and it's, you know, should be no problem. This is a no-brainer shot, right? But At that moment, when you understand the shot is imminent, that is a real turning point. Either you can go to autopilot and you're going to yank the trigger no matter what. If you allow autopilot to have the shot, autopilot is a trigger yanking son of a buck, right? So if you allow that to happen in that moment when you realize the shot is imminent, you have already failed. Yeah, you might still hit the deer, but it's not going to be where you want it to be, right? It's not going to be that surprise break. So that is the moment in archery or in firearms when you when, – and you guys have all experienced it like, oh, man, this is happening. I think I'm going to get a shot. Yep, I'm going to get a shot. This is happening, right? And that's, that's that critical moment where you either fail or you decide to succeed, in that moment when you realize the shot is imminent that's when the first decision has to come in that's not that, that decision of i'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what and that decision is only born from determination right the fundamentals did we talk about the fundamentals of precision shooting in our last podcast
1: to would be honest with you. I don't even recall three years ago. <laughs> let's, let's recap it.
0: I can guarantee you that I didn't three years ago because three years ago I hadn't figured it out yet.
1: Oh, right? perfect. Let's hear it, man.
0: Well, there is a set of fundamentals in shooting. And in archery, there's a, a list of fundamentals like your bow grip and how you grip the release and how you draw the bow and all these things, right? Those are what are considered fundamentals. But in firearms... There's a list of fundamentals that have been out there for decades. It's grip, stance, sight alignment, sight picture, trigger control, breathing, and follow-through. That's the list of fundamentals that has been dealt with for decades, but none of those are mental processes. Those are what I call the fundaphysicals of shooting, right? It's a new word. Come into a dictionary near you, right? <laughs> the fund of physicals, but there are a set of fundamentals that people have skipped since the dawn of man. Yeah The first fundamental is determination. If you don't have enough determination, then you can't even step onto the path of shot control. And so people need to be able to find that. and a lot of times people have to find this determination through life experience like maybe a monster buck that you missed and you felt like crap after that because, God, what happened, right? They never really analyze it. They just go, I just lost it. I had buck fever and I just lost it. I blacked out, all these things, right? So it's finding that determination to say, I'm gonna shoot this shell of control no matter what. Even if that deer walks away, you have to be determined enough to only shoot it if it's going perfectly in your eyes, right? So that determination to say no matter what is a big deal. And some people of certain personalities have difficulty with that. If, they, if they're always looking for something to work for them, right? Or if they hope their training is going to just work for them, that is the personality of a person that's not necessarily determined. So that person has to check themselves and realize that there is nothing going to work for you. You can take all the all the training you want, it's never just going to work for you unless you're determined enough to work for it. So determination is the first fundamental. It's the basis of it all. The second fundamental, your determination leads to your decisions. And this is the major fail point of human beings in shooting. That first decision when you when you believe the shot is imminent is what I call the original decision. I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what, right? And then as you bring the rifle up, now you, you understand the shot is happening. As you bring the rifle up, your mind is going to want to take it and just shove it into autopilot again because that's most efficient, right? So as you mount the rifle, that's another turning point in your shot Say something to yourself so that – make another decision as you mount the gun because now you're actually in the shot process. So now we do what we call in firearms, we call it the half-mount moment. In, in uh, archery, we call it the half-draw moment. Say something as you draw your bow back or as you mount your rifle. I like to say I'm going to do this right. I don't care what you say. Say something, right? Because what that does when you make these decisions, your decisions lead to the third fundamental, which is presence, okay? The decisions that you make bring you into the present, bring you into the moment, because that's a big four-point buck out there. You know, your mind wants to think about, oh, my God, I'm going to be a hero, Right? So, you, you're, you start to future think. You're thinking in the future about how good this thing's going to look on your wall instead of staying in the process of the shot. So, your decisions lead to your presence. Okay. So, as you mount the rifle, say something. I don't care what you say. Say, I'm a badass. What, whatever. I don't care. But you got to say something, and that will jar your conscious mind back into the present of the situation. So now you've got your rifle mounted, and man, those crosshairs are going all over the place. So your mind wants to think about how much your crosshairs are moving, but your job at that point is to detach from the aim, and the only way you can detach from the aim is by making another decision to put yourself in the present for the final job of pressing the trigger. You have to realize, like Steve was saying, visual proprioception, as long as you're watching a spot behind the deer's shoulder, your crosshair has an anchor point. It's always going to come back to that, no matter how much it moves, even if it's moving from the ass of the deer to the head of the deer, it doesn't matter. It's always coming back to that central point that you are watching. Okay. So main thing in firearms or in magnified optics shooting, if you're shooting a scope, Do not watch the crosshairs. Do not watch the reticle. Watch the spot you want to hit. If you watch the crosshairs, you only get fleeting glimpses of the spot you want to hit, and the crosshairs will have no anchor point. That's why, if you're dealing with the science of the mind and the eyes and how it works, watch the spot you want to hit. The crosshairs will then have an anchor point to always come back to. And no matter which way they move, their next movement is always back to the center. That's a trust thing. You have to trust that that is going to happen, okay? So we've got the determination. We've got we've made some decisions. We're now in the present, but oh my God, those crosshairs are moving a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got, to, we've got to detach from that. And this is what we call the critical second. So you've aimed and you're watching your crosshairs move. You've aimed and now it's time to make that final decision. Here I go. When you say that, that will consciously detach you from the aim and bring you into the present so that you can now concentrate on the trigger press, right? So our four fundamentals of precision shooting, be it a bow or a rifle or a pistol, determination, Your determination leads to decisions. Your decisions lead to presence. And only when you are present can you then do the fourth fundamental, which is concentration. Okay? So we've made the decision. I'm going to shoot this shot of control no matter what. Okay, cool. So you start to bring your rifle up. I'm going to do this right. You get your aim. You put your finger on the trigger. It's not time to shoot when you get your aim. It's time to decide that final critical second. And when you say, here I go, it literally gets you through that one second in time when your mind wants to yank the crap out of the trigger because it sees the crosshairs on the critter. But when you get yourself through that one second by saying, here I go, it does numerous things, right? It brings you into the present It allows you to detach from the aim and it gets you through that one second in time. So now you're intensely present for the trigger press. So you've made those three decisions. Here I go. And now it's time to concentrate. Now it's when you start talking yourself through the trigger press because concentration is the, or speech is the route to concentration. So you've got your finger on that trigger. Now you're talking. Keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, pow, until the rifle breaks. And then you will have a surprise break shot. You have allowed your, your reticle to come back into where it needs to. And now you can be very, very accurate in very unstable positions. So that is essentially how you walk yourself through a shot. It takes three decisions to keep yourself in the present. And those are the skills that need to be practiced. I mean, when's the last time that you practiced separating from the aim? I mean, it's easy for us to do when we're on the bench or when we're prone or whatever because we're not seeing much sight movement. But when you stand up and shoot that rifle with all that sight movement, detaching from the aim becomes a skill in itself.
1: Man, that's so good. I was, uh, when you first started explaining that that where my head was going is how do we practice this right so um you know it, and it's exactly what you just said you you can't necessarily do that uh, let's keep it to rifles for this example you can't necessarily do that if you're just shooting off a bench you don't have the movement and the reticle you don't have uh necessarily that thought process of is this gonna hit the target right because you're typically shooting at a bigger target with no movement. But like I was just uh, earlier this week, and I had sent you a video of this, Steve. I was shooting steel at 400 uh, yards with my rifle in a kneeling position off of trekking poles. And it was it, I, the steel that I had. There's a whole bunch of steel this range. I had like a full-size hog, for example, and that was easy. But I was going down and down in, in size. There's just different round plates, of course. And I had that all of that process, I couldn't put it in words. And I'm so glad that you just did. And I'm sure I was missing some of it and not doing it perfectly. But essentially, I was working through that, right? Because now I'm in a kneeling position. I have reticle movement. I'm aiming at a target that if I don't break a clean shot, there's enough margin there, I'm just going to miss, right? Um, so all of that was a factor. And so it just as you were describing that, I thought, man, that's something I want to now go back to and continue to go back to is that type of positional shooting on that type of target and actually work through that process.
0: The, yeah, I mean, in rifle shooting, like in my advanced sniper school that I teach, we don't shoot prone at all. And, you know, I had, I had a guy show up to the advanced sniper school and he's a, a big precision rifle series shooter. I mean, world champion numerous times over and he brought a 22-pound rifle. I'm like, bro, you're going to have a hard time holding that up, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and even in, in those advanced schools, most of what we do is pistol shooting. And it's an advanced sniper school, and I call it that so that they bring their rifles with all their bells and whistles on there, right? And they're all, they're all rucked up, and they're just ready to go, right? And then I have them shoot a shot at 165 yards on a small steel plate standing, and none of them hit it. Because they all try to, you know, they're trying to time it with the reticle because that's what's been taught in the military forever. This sideways figure eight. When people tell me that their site does a sideways figure eight, I just tell them, really look at it and you tell me, is it a sideways figure eight? No, it's not. Right? It might be something similar because that's your natural pattern, but everybody's got a different pattern. And the pattern doesn't matter. It just matters that it's always coming back to the center if you let it. And if you time it, then a timed shot is an open loop trigger press, which means you're going to have pre-ignition movements linked to the trigger motor program, and you're going to have those pre-ignition movements are probably going to carry you off the target if you're in a precision environment. So <clears throat> how do you practice that? You practice it by shooting in the most unstable positions you can. Practice detaching from the aim. Right? That is a skill in itself practice saying here i go it will help with that detachment it will bring you into the present literally saying here i go i mean that phrase gets people to jump out of airplanes right it can certainly get you to be present enough to press through a trigger as much reticle movement as you can find even shooting on one foot i have people do that all the time to get the balance distraction Right. When you have a balance distraction, it's very difficult to to detach from the balance and the aim. But it's just you're just building those skills to when it becomes a hunting shot. You know, when you're actually standing on two feet and you've got a good, you know, a good position and all those things, it becomes so much easier. But the decisions still have to be made. So they definitely have to be practiced.
2: Uh, along these lines, but do you recommend scope on the highest power or lowest power, or is there a setting that you prefer, You know, depending on the animal, the distance?
0: The only reason that people go down in power is so that they see less sight movement. I don't ever have people go down in power unless they can't find the target in the scope, right? If mm-hmm. they can find the target in the scope, then shoot the highest power that you can because – It's a lot easier to see a small spot on a critter at higher power than if you – like if you're shooting a 4 to 12, you back it back to 4 power. Now you've got sight movement, but it's supposedly not as distracting. I'd much rather have that thing on 12 power and be able to watch that exact spot I want to hit. It gives that crosshair. Yeah, it's going to look like it moves more, but I don't care about that. It Mm. gives me a a more – acute focal point when i'm on higher power and you'll find that it's really interesting if you ever go out and drive fire your rifle you know as long as it's you're in a safe place and all that stuff and and uh when you drive fire your rifle and you just really watch the reticle dance and you're pressing on the trigger and your concentrations in the trigger it is amazing what you will see the reticle do when it breaks you will see a jump to target when it breaks no matter where it's at like if you're looking at a dandelion head at 100 yards and you're just working through that trigger you'll see the crosshair jump back to center as the trigger breaks your mind is amazing at aiming but it can only do that you know you should be seeing the same thing when you're actually shooting it'll be easy to do in dry fire because there's no explosion going to happen so there's no self-preservation response all that stuff but it's cool to see it right but mm. actually getting out there and shooting and using every shot for this fundamental practice right determination decisions presence and concentration so like when you're teaching your kids to shoot you've got to get them to separate i mean imagine i mean you guys if if you've shot at, at critters with a rifle you'll know that 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 young hunter wants to yank the trigger as soon as the crosshairs get on the hair and that's why we see people miss so often i remember the first i shot at was with a 30 30 i was 11 years old 3030, 30 uh peep sight i got the deer in the magic circle of the rear sight of the peep sight i don't know where my front sight was but i got it in the magic circle of the peep sight and i just started laying lead down i didn't even come close to that deer right But my mind believed that the aim was complete. So, you know, you'll see that in in young hunters that there's no critical second. They're firing the round within the critical second. And if you do that, you've handed it to autopilot. So if you can get yourself through that one second in time, you become so much more present so that you can concentrate on the trigger press. It just it spells success in a very quick manner. It's it's really cool when you teach people how to actually separate that shot.
1: Um, everything you've described, those those mental processes in the moment and slowing down and being intentional and decisive, totally on board. I'm curious, are there things you can do ahead of time as well? And so I relate it to, you know, as, as hunters would put a lot of, time, effort, energy, money, all of that into creating shot opportunities. Um, and whether it's fully conscious or subconscious, when that when that opportunity comes, right, and this goes back to just wanting to, like, execute, we just want to make that shot opportunity happen, right? And so in the moment, um, we feel, boom, like you just said, crosshairs are there, there's hair in the peep site, whatever, like, jerk the trigger, this is it, go. Obviously, we've talked about how to slow down then, but ahead of time, right? So like before the hunt, do you feel that visual, visualization or is there some other like mental routine that can kind of help us simulate that opportunity before it happens? It's so that we feel essentially more comfortable or more calm when that in the flesh
0: opportunity arises. So a couple things. You have to shoot with physical exertion only because when you're breathing hard, it The skill you're practicing is not the shot. So if you like let's say I I do a workout where I I sprint to the to a target or sprint to a position, and then I do a bunch of push-ups and I do a bunch of lunges and then I shoot a shot. The skill I'm practicing is not necessarily shooting, it's in detaching from the physical, from the physiology of it, right? It's detaching from, oh my God, my sight is moving, I'm breathing so hard, my sight's moving all over the place. It doesn't matter, right? It's detaching from that and bringing yourself into the present for the trigger work. It always comes back to the trigger work, right? So, you know, that's that's one thing that you can, that you can do is shoot with physical exertion so that you can practice with this altered body because we cannot take The same body with us to this shot. We can only take the same mind. So if you've practiced being determined, if you've practiced making the decisions, if you've practiced bringing yourself into the present, if you've practiced your concentration, right? Those are the true skills. If you've practiced those, then you know how to do them and you know the blueprint, the mental blueprint of your shot. So again, your body is going to be altered during this shot. You don't have any control over how much adrenaline is released into your system, right? You have have a slight bit of control over your heart rate through breathing, right? So we do that combat breathing in through the nose for a four count, hold for a four count, out through the mouth for a four count, hold for a four count. That will lower your heart rate. And what that does for you when you lower it, like if you can keep it below like 160, then you can think. You can make conscious cognitive thoughts, right? Like you can remember the parts of your blueprint. So, you know, practicing that blueprint because it's all you can take with you. So you have to practice implementing the blueprint with an altered body. And the only way that we can really do that preseason is by – physical exertion, right? Or shooting around people you don't know, shooting 3D targets that are at the edge of a cliff. So that if you lose if you miss, your arrow is gone. Bye bye, right? There's 20 (laughs) bucks over the cliff. So all of those things, again you cannot take the same body with you. It's impossible. So you have to take the same mind. So you really have to work on that. Secondly you have to remove all wonder from your shot. Like when I go elk hunting this year, I know exactly how I'm going to shoot a controlled shot. There is no wonder. I'm not going to wonder how I'm going to do in that high stress event. So removing the wonder and you'll hear when people talk, you know, I was just training, training a guy this last week in, in Idaho. And when you hear them talk, you know that there's still wonder in their shot because he would. I would tell him what, what he needed to do and he goes, okay, okay, I'll try it. I'll see if I can do better this time. Well, that is a very undetermined statement, right? There is no trying and all that stuff. You either do it, you do shot control, you control your shot or you don't. And if you have wonder in it, if you wonder how you're gonna do in a high stress event, you've already failed at that event right so no matter what you're doing when you go on this hunt there can be no wonder in your shot you have to know exactly how you're going to shoot this controlled shot you need to know where you're going to find your determination you need to know what decisions you're going to make when you're going to make them specifically in the shot and then scientifically how you're going to carry these decisions out and getting that blueprint is such powerful information and when i talk about the blueprint here's what i mean like you're on your your 400 yard steel and you're standing and you're working through that trigger and pow ding and you got it like oh man i am awesome if you don't blueprint how you did that shot there's no way you can repeat it so in blueprinting a shot Four questions. Number one, what were you thinking about during the shot? And it should be, you should be thinking about nothing other than your shot activation movement. If it's with archery gear, there's a shot activation movement that you're doing with your release, be it, you know, index finger, thumb button, hinge, tension activated, <clears throat> whatever you got. You know, or maybe you're shooting a stick bow, you're working through a clicker, you're doing some other mechanoreceptive trigger, right? So your shot activation movement must be your world in that shot. So number one, question number one of the blueprint, what was I thinking? The answer to that should be I was thinking about nothing other than my shot activation movement. Question number two, what was I saying? What words were you using to direct and trap your concentration into that trigger press? In, in firearms, I suggest people say keep pressing, right? In that rhythm, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. It might be a hum, right? In some sniper work, I use a hum, and that gives my, my trigger movement rhythm and timing. And it sends that concentration to that particular muscle group. It allows the concentration to become more intense so what are you thinking number two what are you saying you need to know not only what words you're saying but at what rhythm you are saying them it's not keep pressing keep pressing keep pressing keep pressing keep pressing it's keep pressing keep pressing and it might be having to said with aggression keep pressing keep pressing keep pressing right especially in high stress events your words have to gain aggression okay so Question number one of the blueprint, what was I thinking? should be thinking about the shot activation movement. Question number two, what was I saying? Got to know not only what words you're saying, but at what rate you're saying them. Question number three, could I have stopped it? Was I so keenly concentrated on the shot activation movement that I could have stopped it anywhere within it? As you're pressing the trigger on that rifle, I realize you may only have it at two pounds but you're still feeling the squish of your flesh. Are you moving that? Are you feeling the squish at a rate that you're gaining feedback, right? Where you're able to stop it. If you are able to stop a trigger press anywhere in it, in a high stress event, that means you are truly in a closed loop control system to get into a a closed loop control system requires those fundamentals you can't just find yourself pressing a trigger perfectly in a high stress event it takes determination decisions presence and concentration so that third question could i have stopped it is a very important question if you can say yes to that that then that means you followed the fundamentals question number four what decisions did i make to get myself into the process for this one shot did i when i realized the shot was imminent did i say i'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what no matter what is very important there because no matter what is a determined statement anybody that says those three words they never say it in some you know la la land it's it's always said something something in the phrase no matter what, doing it this way, no matter what. They always say it with determination. It's what I call a determined grade. Okay. So what decision did I make? I made the original decision. I'm going to shoot the shot with control, no matter what. Did I make my half mount moment or the half up moment or the half draw moment? Did you say something to yourself as you're mounting that rifle, as you're drawing the bow back? I like to say, I'm going to do this right. And then finally, Did I work through the critical second by saying, here I go or whatever that is for you? It doesn't have to be here I go, but it's got to be a very determined statement because it is a point in your shot when your mind is screaming at you to just let him have it. Right. Let the autopilot have it. It's going to brace you for recoil. Everything's going to be safer that way. Right. Hmm. So. What was I thinking? What was I saying? could I have stopped it? What decisions did I make? If you can answer those questions, you now have the blueprint, the mental blueprint for your particular controlled shot. And now you start to use every shot after that blueprint formulation. You start to use every shot to strengthen it to the point where your blueprint becomes a principle, right? Like I am not going to shoot an uncontrolled shot, no matter what weapon system I'm shooting. If it's a precision environment, I'm going closed loop on the trigger, no matter what, no matter who's watching, no matter how big the critter is. I proved that on that bull elk last year, that big six by seven Rosie that I shot. I had him at 10 yards broadside. I'm at full draw with my recurve. I'm looking down the shaft of my arrow and This bull is raking the ground in front of me at 10 yards, and every fiber of my being was telling me to just shoot the shot. Just shoot him. It's 10 yards, right? You're going to kill him. But in the middle of that conversation, I said, nope, I'm not doing it like that. And I reached into that mental mess that that shot was becoming. I reached into that mental mess, and I plucked out my conscious mind. By saying, nope, I'm not doing it that way. Because I knew deep down in the determination well that there's – I mean this was the bull of my dreams. And there was no way that I would put him on my wall if I shot him with an uncontrolled arrow. That's how determined I am to be in control of my shot. So I said, nope, I'm not doing it like that. I'm working through my grip sear on my recurve. And when that thing popped, I shot that arrow in the 11 ring of that bull. I mean, it was perfect placement. He ran 60 yards and fell over and my dream came true. Right. I would have been happy that I killed the bull, but knowing deep down inside, I didn't shoot a controlled arrow. That bull would not mean near as much to me. So getting the wonder out all these things are coming right they're coming like a freight train all these thoughts of oh my god that's a monster or whatever you know all these thoughts are going to be coming in and things are going to be moving very fast that's why you have to practice the organization of this precision shot right practice the organization of the decisions that you're going to make so that You know, I don't have to say anymore, I'm gonna shoot this shot control no matter what. I don't have to do that, right? It's a principle, it's a fundamental truth by which I live. I'm just not gonna do it, right? So, but that's not where I was. I mean, it I was it took me 13 years to kill a bull elk with my bow because I couldn't hold myself together. I wasn't doing any of these things, I wasn't making any decisions in my shop. And the same thing happened in firearms, right? I mean I when I was in the academy I took first in firearms only because I started to figure some of this stuff out and I bought a pistol that I could still be open loop with and still be pretty good right I didn't buy a Glock that's got a longer trigger press well with a longer trigger press if you're yanking the trigger with a longer trigger press it invites range of motion into pre-ignition movements Whereas if you, you know, i in the academy, I bought a 1911, which has got a much shorter trigger stroke so that I could stay open loop in the trigger, not knowing any of this stuff at the time, I could stay open loop in the trigger. And I just realized that I shot that pistol much better, but I still wasn't in control of my shot until I started to figure all this stuff out. And that's a very scary thing to me because I train law enforcement all the time. I train special military units. It scares the crap out of me that most people in law enforcement and in the military shoot with wonder. They wonder how they're going to do in precision environments. And that's where I was as a police sniper for the first, gosh, I don't know, 10 years of my police sniper career. Thank God I didn't have to utilize lethal force because I still wondered how I was going to do. And that was seen every year in rifle work on on animals right I would yank the crap out of the trigger I'm thinking my god is this going to happen you know thinking with wonder is this going to happen in a lethal force environment how am I going to pull myself together so luckily for me my shooting came after I figured it all out and I was very successful in that particular lethal force environment but it was only because I had figured it out I knew how I was going to do it you know, and when it came to that and that was the only option, that's what, you know, being able to put, put things together. And it's, it's just, you know, hunting is the ultimate adrenaline practice for all this stuff. You know, people have to start to use the critters that they have the opportunity to shoot. They have to use them as concentration tests because it's the ultimate test. Right. So. Yeah. How do you practice that? You got to practice the mentality of shooting, and so we just work through that. So people should have a a very specific roadmap in front of them now.
1: Yeah, no,
0: I agree. I I
1: I am personally going to go back and like re-listen to this and help uh, develop that roadmap for myself and put it into practice. Um, man, thank you so much, Joel, and. Thank you for the time, the knowledge. And I uh, You know, I don't say this to be like cliche, but truly thank you for your service as well in terms of law enforcement and obviously helping train military and law enforcement. Uh, we certainly appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate the support.
1: Yeah. Before we let you go, um, tell folks about where they can go. Um, I know you have courses and things like that. So just resources that you'd point folks to to either touch base with you or check out what you have to offer.
0: Yeah, if you want true control of your shot, if you want to get the wonder out, then the website is shotiq.com. And on that website, I've got a couple of courses. I've got one control process shooting archery course where we go through all of the the science of how to shoot this bow in high stress events, all the different release aids and stick bows and traditional archery and how to just run your business in high stress events. And then I've also got the precision pistol course on there which I'm really hoping people get into because there are some very essential skills that could mean life or death in that. And it's, it's a simple science, but it is a science nonetheless. So people need to know it because things are going to happen. And if you haven't practiced this conscious override or, you know, all the things that go into shooting a precision, close quarter shot and all these things, you know, you can't just expect things to happen for you it's just not going to work out that way so get the training shotiq.com you can hit me up on instagram or facebook or my email is joel turner at shotiq.com shoot me an email Uh, a lot of times when people email me i'll give you my phone number and give me a call we'll have a chat and and see where you are in your shot control and and what you might want to be thinking about
1: such good stuff guys as i mentioned links in the show description to joel's shot iq website his contact and all that as always thank you for taking the time to tune in you can reach us directly with any questions comments anything like that just shoot us an email to podcast at xomountaingear.com and as we do get rolling into hunting season we would love to hear from you guys and have you let us know how your hunts go good and bad struggles uh, see some field photos, anything like that. So just reach out anytime, podcast at exomountgear.com Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't yet, share this uh, show with a friend, somebody that could benefit, especially with this episode, from the knowledge that Joel shared. So thank you guys again. We'll talk to you soon.